All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, depending on when you're listening to this. This is the Milk and Mead podcast, where we go head on with the easy stuff, the milk, and the not so easy stuff, the meat of the Word of God. The purpose is to give correct understanding of some of the most controversial biblical topics of our day and doing so in the appropriate context so as not to misinform anyone. My name is Andrew Krimkovich, and I'll be your host today as we dive into the topic titled, What is Love? Now, there's a lot of personal views, there's a lot of, I guess, messages going out there on what love is, and usually it's actually more of like an affection, uh, sexual, kind of attractive, lust-filled love. But I just want to I wanna recap real quick on how the Bible describes love. And there's, there's going to be two areas I'm going to touch. I'm going to touch the Old and the New Testament. So I'm going off of the Hebrew words, and then I'll go off the Greek words for the New Testament. So I, I don't properly know probably how to pronounce these, but I'll, I'll give it a try. So Ahab, or Aheb, uh, means to have an affection for, whether it's sexually or otherwise. And in Genesis 27.4, that word is used in, where where the word love is used and it says and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die so this is uh, this is Isaac speaking um, when he is about to pass away basically he's on his deathbed and he says you know just make me one last meal and I'll give you the family blessing so he speaks about love in that way so Ahab or Aheb uh, that's a that's a could be a sexual love when speaking of relationships. Could be uh, an affectionate love towards the food, as you can see that he was referring to. Uh, ahaba means affection or love or a lover. Now, Genesis twenty nine twenty says, "So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days, because of the love he had for her." So basically, Jacob in this story served seven years to have a wife. Um, his uncle Laban gave him uh, a wife out of his own daughters, but he said, you have to serve me for seven years. And there was this funny business where his uncle tricked him and gave him another daughter instead. So he worked seven more years. And it said now that, you know, he, he was happy to work those other seven years, seven more years, because he wanted Rachel in the first place. So that's an affection love. That, that's the kind of love you would give to a lover. Uh, so Hasak H-A-S-A-Q, means to cling, to join, to love, to have a desire, to set your love on, to have an in-love experience. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, uh, this is God speaking. It says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Uh, this is... This is speaking about how God chose Israel out of the whole world to be their, his special people, to be an example to the world of what God's standards look like, what it means to follow him wholeheartedly, what it means to be uniquely blessed so that people would chime in. But Israel basically took the other route and instead chimed in on everybody else's spiritualisms and religions and they dishonored, disobeyed God and broke all of his commands. So that's... That's three of the big ones. Uh, I can go into all these other ones. Uh, I'll, I'll point out one more. Uh, agaba. It's defined as an inordinate or an excessive love. So it says, Her sister Oholiba saw this 
and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust, and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. This is in Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 11. This is speaking about the two kingdoms in Israel. you got Israel, um, and then you have Judah. Um, Israel and Judah were basically prostituting themselves spiritually away from God and towards other beliefs, towards other spiritual practices. And God was bringing this condemnation saying, you've basically become a prostitute. You've set your love on all these other things instead of me. And he gave this, this, this story-like name in this, in this story to, uh, to Jerusalem, uh, Oholiba. So he was saying, you know, you're worse than, you're worse than Judah. Um, and that's an inordinate excess of love. Like Israel became obsessed with, with basically intertwining with all these other cities around them, with all these other spiritualities, all these other uh, religious movements, all these other cultures. And they were supposed to be unique and different. Their, their standard was supposed to come just from the Decalogue, just from the Ten Commandments of God and every other specific thing that comes in the Bible. But they chose to go otherwise. And they paid for it. They paid for it dearly. So love in the New Testament, um, here's one example. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 43 to 46, you have the word agapo in, in the Greek. And it means like a social or moral love, a love that comes in the sense of a moral sense. So a willing consent of the will as a matter of principle or duty. It's more of a determined matter. It's more like a, a, a love that you choose to love out of your head than your heart. Uh, and Matthew 5, 43 to 46, this is Jesus speaking, and he's clarifying to the, to the listeners, saying, you know, you, you don't just love like you've been told to love. You love even more than that. I'll, I'll explain to you what love really means. And he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So that love is not just an affection-feely kind of love. That's a, that's a decision. It's a decision to be kind and hospitable and generous towards people or towards others. And this is, this is a decision that you make. This is, this is considered that sacrificial kind of love. And many people will only do that with people they love and care about already. They won't necessarily practice that with people they don't know, like strangers or people they'll only see once ever passing by. They won't necessarily pour their love out. They won't necessarily share their goods with people they don't know. And, and God is saying, you know, don't just love the people that you already know. Spend, uh, spend yourself on behalf of others. So the phileo kind of love, um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, says that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is basically speaking against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who would rather have people look at them and watch them do things so they could be applauded, whether it's out loud or just internally. They want people's approval so bad that they loved showing off their good deeds. And that's not healthy. That's not good. That's proud. And... I don't see many situations where that could be of use. Maybe if you want to spur people on to do good works and you record this situation where you go out and you see this amazing thing happen, you record the results because it's wonderful and maybe somebody else might be blessed by it, sure. But going out all the time, pulling out a camera whenever you do a good thing, 
that doesn't seem like it's doing anything for other people. That seems like you just want the praise. And that could be a dangerous uh, road to go on. So the phileo kind of love is more of a friendly love. It's to be friendly of, to be fond of an individual or an object. And it denotes a personal attachment or a sentiment. And this is more of a natural matter of the heart and the feelings rather than the one we spoke about uh, in the agapo. It, it's, it's more of a head kind of moral choice love. But phileo is more of a feeling thing. So the Sadducees or the Pharisees, these leaders, these spiritual leaders, they were more concerned with how other people saw them. So they were kind of fond of being uh, approved of. So that's it's a dangerous road. and it's, it's condemned by God. He says, that's that's not it. That's pride, and I'll humble you. And it might be a bad bad way that you end up getting humbled. So thelo or ethelo or ethelio, uh, it's a prefer, to prefer or to be pleased or t to be inclined to, to delight in. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 38, it says, and his teaching, in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. So they like walking around or they love to walk around in long robes. And that's like they, they, they are pleased. They are delighted to be noticed because of how they dress. It's a preference for them. They prefer that. Uh, from the word phileo also comes the word Philadelphia, and that is a fraternal, a brotherly kind of love and kindness. And in Romans 12, 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So there's so many different loves. And the last one I'm going to talk about is one that I'm sure people have heard about, but I'll, I'll point it out anyway. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 8. It's the agape love. It means affection or benevolence, charity. And it denotes a love of reason, a love of purpose. Uh, and it is a preference. It's a choice you make. It, it might not, that love is not necessarily something that just pours out of your heart naturally. It's something you choose. And your heart can come with it. But, it, but we have to lead ourselves into that because it might be the sacrificial love that hurts, but it's good anyway. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 8 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now that is not the kind of love that naturally pours out just by feelings or uh, with a lustful stare, not at all. That's a love of choice, to be kind, to not envy or not to boast, to be not rude. I mean, it's incredible. It's not easily offended. That's incredible. I just, I've never been taught that love until I got to know who God really is. I got to know him through the Bible. I got to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that I've been able to come to Christ. But this is not the kind of love that people often explain or talk about. This is not what people think when they think love. Unless you've grown up around these kinds of standards, but I haven't. For me, love was always... Uh, I, I love that girl, I love this, I love pot, I love drugs, I love money, I love that car, I love me, I love this soup, I love ice cream. It was, it was really all about how will this affect me. It was more, it, it was either emotion, lust-filled, or, or just, uh, just selfish love. There was never a selfless love. I've never known that love before. And I don't know if anyone really teaches that. 
again, unless they're in the right circles. And I'm grateful that now I'm in that circle because I get to teach other people about it. So the kind of love that is being used most often in the Bible when referring to how we should love one another and God is a love of preference where we decide to love, even against all odds or comforts. So against our own personal views on an individual or how they may have behaved or treated us, we're commanded to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. When we consider how much that actually denotes to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it might not be long before we feel unable to do such a thing. And also, when we consider how we would love ourselves, it seems as though either we judge others as unworthy or undeserving of such love, or maybe that we need to rediscover what it means to love ourselves before we can go on loving anyone else. So the problem with the first view on loving God is that we aren't commanded or expected to even lift a finger, so to say, without the assistance and empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God in any of it. We're not commanded to remain unbelievers in God and yet to fulfill the commands of God. One thing I would say, though, on this matter is that such a pursuit to love like God without the power of God to do so might be the most humbling thing to ever attempt. Well, it's actually the proudest thing ever, but it would bring about the necessary humility to actually confess that we cannot do even a simple thing like love someone the way the Bible teaches us to, not without the empowering help of God. So it might actually lead someone to confess and to repent which I totally support. So go for it. If you think you're up for it, just go for it. Just know who to turn to when you fail, namely Jesus Christ, the one that is described and identified in the Holy Bible. So the problem with the second view on loving your neighbor as yourself is that some people judge too quickly before following this command. It becomes a thing that you give out, the love like you're about to run out of it and there won't be enough to go around to the more deserving people. So you hold on to it all day and nobody ever gets it except for the people you're already fond of. Now that's a problem because it, it, it replicates what the unspiritual and legalistic religious Pharisees were doing in the times of Jesus Christ. They were only caring for those they already had good relations with, but not toward any of the outsiders. Also, sometimes I see this popular statement going around, I need to learn how to love myself and accept myself before I can love and accept others. Now, that's a misunderstanding of what it means to love yourself. Loving yourself doesn't mean you feel pretty enough or as sexually attractive as you would like to look. It doesn't mean that you are as popular or socially worshipped as you'd like to be. In this scenario, Jesus is speaking of the most basic form of love. And it's the most sacrificial one. It's the agape kind of love. That's the word used because love and all of these, if you look at how love is used, the words that are actually used in the Greek, you can find out what is the actual meaning and intention and the purpose behind those verses and words and commands and warnings in the Bible if you look into the original language. Look into the Hebrew and look into the Greek, Old Testament, New Testament, you'll find out more clearly what is God really talking about here. So uh, the agape love we talked about earlier, that's the preferring love of the will, not of the sensual emotion. That's the love with which you can love your neighbor. There can be plenty of emotion that goes with it, but the lack of natural affection doesn't mean don't do it. Becoming aware of a need around you is immediately within your reach to act upon it, whatever the resources you have available to you, not for the sake of gloating or boasting, so you don't have to post your kind acts on social media, but for the sake of their own good. Loving your neighbor doesn't mean you need to already have good feelings about them, but that you decide to do the good they need, even if it's only the little that you can offer. 
and even if they respond awkwardly or in a less than grateful manner. Our love isn't to depend on others' responses or their social standing, but it should depend on the command of God and our willingness to obey. So here is the greatest motivator to love another, uh, and it's because we're responding to that great and undeserved love that God has shown us in sacrificing His own beloved Son, Jesus Christ, on a cross for all of our sins. And He did this before any of us even considered Him or asked for His help. That love toward us from God is the ongoing continuous motivator that the Bible speaks volumes about when trying to stir people up to do good works. Because at the end of the day, or even at the beginning of the day, we are not good enough for heaven. And that is why such a great price needed to be paid for our forgiveness and entryway to heaven. And it all occurred through the blood of Jesus Christ by the will of God the Father. And we must come to terms with that, meaning we must actually believe, and in believing, repent of our sins and our sinful living against God. In doing so, we will have the ability to respond in the true, unconditional love that comes through Jesus Christ because God will give us the Holy Spirit, which will empower us to do so. Now, I want to finish up just by going over something real quick. Earlier, we talked about Matthew 5, 43 to 46. It's when you say, you know, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just, I'm going to pause there. The idea of loving your enemies and I'm sure that, for the most part, we know who our enemies are. It's not necessarily the person that just has a bad attitude with everyone, but it's someone that we actually have a problem with, or they have a problem with us. And it might even be someone that makes our life a little difficult or kind of cringeworthy moments, whatever it might be. We have people that might offend us or might continually offend us, or we live constantly offended by them. Just We might have those relationships. And in... Uh, in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, I want to read something real quick. And it gives a really clear vision on why um, we can forgive people. And it's because of the great love that Christ has shown us in paying our debt for sin. So I'm just going to go for it. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, talking to Jesus, Lord, how often will my, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I'm, I'm sure that Peter probably thought he was really coming up with a big number there, saying, oh God, you know, maybe maybe I should just forgive him seven whole times. He, he's probably hoping that Jesus would say, no, nah, no, nah, three's enough. But, but that's not what happened. So Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or in other versions, it's 70 times seven. Basically, Christ was not saying, you know, do the math and then ended at that he was saying no just endless forgiveness let it be endless and then he continues on jesus continues on in saying this therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants when he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents and that's a lot of money you do the math that's that's years and years of wages that's not just a few months of pay that's years when he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him like a 100 denarii, which is basically like, uh, maybe 20, 30, 50 bucks, not, nothing. It's comparing nothing to those years and years of wages he owed someone else. So he found someone who owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down 
and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now what I'm saying is, there is lots of motivation on, on why to forgive. There's a lots of motivation, motivation on why to truly love someone. But the greatest of these is because we've been forgiven. If you are in Christ, we've been forgiven. We've been shown a love that we can't even pay back. We've been given what we could never pay. We could never afford this. I mean, life in heaven with Christ, forgiven of all our sins, is not something anybody could have paid off through good religious acts. Otherwise, we wouldn't be Christians. We would be Muslims. We would be Hindus. We would be any other religion where you pay. We'd be Jehovah Witnesses. We'd be people that are buying our way into heaven through the things that we do, the doors that we knock on, the good deeds that we do, the good karma that we try to get over the bad karma, the, the prayers that we pray or the traveling to Mecca, all of these spiritual uh, uh, pursuits that would be our gateway and our payment into heaven. But God says this, there's no one that can pay for this because this is a gift given because you brought offense before me, God, not me, but I'm talking about God. And when you offend God and you live in sin against him, the wages of sin or the payment or what you get for sin is death. And we're not talking about, you know, uh, dead in your feelings and emotions. We're talking about complete and total death of the spirit. And, and the only way to get past that is for somebody to die. It's either going to be us or what has already happened on our behalf. Jesus Christ died. Because of the great love that he has shown us, God Almighty, we can love anybody if we choose to. If we choose to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we choose to do it with Christ in our mind and recognizing God has given us this great love that we can share and it won't run out. It won't end or run out. The only thing that will ever make it apparently run out is if we choose not to love someone because they've offended us. But then if we ever have an offense toward God again, even one, even a little thing, if, if we take his name in vain real quick and we say something foolish or we tell a lie or we're just insensitive or, we, or anything, it would not make much sense to come to God and say, Lord God, forgive me for my sins. Because he could bring it up to us and say, well, why would I forgive you if you don't even forgive those that sin against you? And, and we might have whatever reason, like, oh, okay, because uh, this person wasn't, uh, wasn't really sincere. It's like, well, we might not be sincere if we're asking for forgiveness and we refuse to give it as well. So love is, is described beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's described as, as an action. It's described sacrificially. There is emotion in love. There is feeling to it. There's a desire. There's a, there could even be a preference in it. But the, the point is, when we are commanded to love God, and we're commanded to keep the commandments of Jesus Christ, when we're told to do that, 
God is using the word agape. The New Testament is written with the word agape in those verses where it is a preference, it is a choice. It's not something we're naturally going to be inclined to do. It's something we're supernaturally inclined to do when we have the Holy Spirit. But it's not a natural affection. It could become that, but it, it, it won't necessarily start that way. It's a decision we have to make because of the knowledge of who God is and because of the knowledge of what our salvation really took, the, the price that needed to be paid for us to be saved. And that should inspire and motivate anybody to actually do that. So if your love is nothing more than when you feel like doing it, then you might be chasing after your feelings. You might be chasing after the world's version of love. And that version is incomplete and it's, it's misfocused. But God's version of love doesn't focus on ourselves more than others. And God takes care of us. So it's really important, I think, to understand what is God's definition of love? And are we relying on that? Or are we trying to just feel good about everything before we ever share a goodness with another person because God tells us love God with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself we already love ourselves loving ourselves does not mean I feel good about me loving ourselves means you know when I'm hungry I eat when I'm thirsty I drink something you know when I'm cold I put on a jacket if I'm sweating I take off a shirt whatever it takes to make myself comfortable to make myself feel more more well welcome or well fed or more hydrated I'll do that and if we can't even do those basic things, when we see someone hungry or thirstier or naked, or if we can somehow relieve a pressure or tension, and we don't even strive to do that, even in the smallest ways, then we aren't practicing what God has told us to do. And God has not told us, you know, go, go uh, put your children in harm's way and help someone else. No, don't, you don't have to take food out of your kids' mouths. I mean, take it out of your own mouth. Your kids, your kids won't be all right if you take food out of their mouths. But you, you can probably survive uh, by skipping a meal. I mean, don't do it to the kids because you got to cherish and take care of and protect them and nurture them up. But but can you sacrifice? So that's a, that's our podcast. And I, I really hope that I spark some interest. And if not, then so be it. But I, I, I never knew about this until I took a look at what the Bible really says and until I, I gained my own relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And my repentance and faith just grew in this beautiful direction where now I, I want to know how to love somebody else better because I have been shown this great mercy and love that I didn't deserve and nobody else could have paid it for me. It was done by God Almighty. So consider this. Think about it. Let it circulate in your mind. This is Milk and Meat Podcast with Andrew Krimkovich. Uh, I hope you had a great time. God bless you all.